Well, it's lovely to see everyone again. Uh, it's just wonderful to be in God's presence, to come before him. He asks us to come before him boldly, before the throne of grace. He loves being with us. Now, this morning, we are continuing with our journey through the Apostles' Creed. It's some journey, isn't it? Um, and last week, we looked at Jesus coming to the earth where he suffered and died for us and was buried. And as we heard last week, every line of the Apostles' Creed is a line of faith. We are declaring a miracle in every single line. I think we'll just give the children time here. <coughs> Excuse me. <clears throat> Lovely to see the children again. It's absolutely wonderful. We're thanking God for them. Bless them today. So, as I say, every line of the Apostles' Creed takes faith, and we are declaring a miracle in every line. So today, we are continuing with the declaration that I believe on the third day that he rose from the dead. We've just been singing about this. Jesus rose from the dead. Now, recently, at the Pentecost Sunday celebrations down at Newton Hall, church hall there in the village of Dander Hall, I found myself a bit more mesmerized, just more than a bit actually mesmerized and confounded by Andrew Don's impressive illusions and the conjuring tricks at that party that day. <laughs> I really was so impressed, especially I liked the pencil through the handkerchief uh, illusion trick and how Andrew related that to God's word, being able to reach and restore the deepest parts of our being. Now, I did ask him afterwards, how did you do that, Andrew? And he did show me, <laughs> but I'm thinking, no, I'll need a lot of practice here before I try that. It was so good. It was so good. Uh, and, the, and those who came that day absolutely loved that, that whole part that Andrew did with all these illusions. Now, you may have heard of that great master illusionist, Harry Houdini. Yes, now he performed some really breathtaking tricks. I had a wee look at some of them online, especially that one where he was locked in the trunk and it was submerged under the water. And every time he seemed to get out of it, quite amazing. What an illusion. But here in the Apostles' Creed, we're declaring so much more than Houdini or anyone else has ever or will ever be able to do because the success of Jesus' mission from the grave, it depended on whether he would emerge from the grave or whether death would hold him. Now, unlike Houdini, Christ's triumph was not, was not an illusion. It was a verdict. It was a decisive conclusion for us. It was a validation. It was credible. It was bona fide. And it was a vindication. It acquitted us from any condemnation at all. And it was all of Christ's work, all of his work for the salvation of sinners. Now, some of you may have heard of that quite famous and well-known uh, 
Christian evangelist, Tony Campolo. You may have heard of him. He's a pastor, author, American. And here's one of his quotes. I really liked it. He said, it's Friday, but Sunday is coming. It's Friday, but Sunday is coming. So what was he meaning there? Well, yes, he was talking about the crucifixion on the Friday, but he's referring to that sensational Sunday sensational when Jesus rose from the dead. Now, there were those at the time of Jesus, and there still are today, who will deny that Jesus was raised from the dead. And some search for some logical reason. Now, in large part, because they refuse to believe in anything supernatural, which we find surprising about today, because most of the movies and everything that are made now are all about the supernatural that there are still people who will refuse to believe. Here's a few of the suggestions that get put up. No, Jesus didn't actually die on the cross. He fainted, and then he revived in the tomb. Of course, this ignores the evidence of John, the apostle, who actually and personally confirmed the death of Christ. He saw that sword pierced in his side, and uh, we read about that in John 19. There's others suggest some kind of conspiracy between the chief priests and the soldiers, oh, that the body was stolen. Well, the body of Jesus was stolen. Well, this ignores the evidence. These were highly disciplined and trained guards and on risk of their life, if anything happened to that body, they were well-trained. And of course, it ignores the seal that was round the tomb. Now, these are just a few. Some people also say that, uh, oh, Jesus only rose spiritually and not physically. Well, the reality of Jesus' death and the actuality of his bodily resurrection is essential, is essential to the Christian faith. And if we read the four accounts in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, they do make it clear that Jesus died but they also relate to the rest of his story. Now, Jesus pointed out to his disciples, especially we can read in Matthew 16 about this, he said to them he would suffer many things. He would be killed, but he would be raised again on the third day. Now, I wonder, what is your favorite genre of a novel? Or what kind of film do you prefer, or even a TV program? Well, I'll let you know until we secret here. I like a good mystery, and I really like the Poirot uh, series of programs. I love, I love the wee saying that he says, you know, it gets the little grey cells working. It does for me. I can still never work it out at the end of the program. Who did it? I've got to wait. <laughs> now, Perhaps you prefer a courtroom drama. There's a lot of these programs on, all about the courtroom. And that's where the verdict, you're waiting on that verdict. It's based on the evidence. It needs to be unearthed and it needs to be presented in a way that accounts for all the facts. Now, this morning, I'd like us to imagine that we are in the courtroom drama. And we're going to take that approach to have a look and verify that Jesus rose from the dead, his resurrection from the grave. Now, the apostle Peter does this for us, and he brings four strands together 
And I, I just think they're fascinating. He brings four together from our reading this morning, which is from Acts chapter 2, verses 22 to 33, if you'd just like to follow along with me. Here's what it says. Fellow Israelites, listen to this. Jesus of Nazareth was a man accredited by God to you by miracles, wonders, and signs, which God did among you through him, as you yourselves know. This man was handed over to you by God's deliberate plan and foreknowledge, and you, with the help of wicked men, put him to death by nailing him to the cross. But God raised him from the dead, freeing him from the agony of death, because it was impossible for death to keep its hold on him. David said about him, I saw the Lord always before me because he's at my right hand. I will not be shaken. Therefore, my heart is glad and my tongue rejoices. My body also will rest in hope because you will not abandon me to the realm of the dead and you will not let your Holy One see decay. You have made known to me the paths of life you will fill me with joy in your presence. Fellow Israelites, I can tell you confidently that the patriarch David died and was buried and his tomb is here to this day. But he was a prophet and he knew that God had promised him on oath that he would place one of his descendants on his throne. Seeing what was to come, he spoke of the resurrection of the Messiah that he was not abandoned to the realm of the dead, nor did his body see decay. God has raised this Jesus to life, and we are all witnesses of it. Exalted to the right hand of God, he has received from the Father the promised Holy Spirit and has poured out what you now see and hear. What a testimony there. How does Peter bring four strands of evidence together from what we've just read. How does he bring that together for us about the resurrection of Jesus? Well, firstly, he points to Jesus and he distinguishes him from anyone else as a son of man, accredited and sent by God. What does that mean? Well, it means that Jesus was approved he was appointed, he was authorized by God. And through all his acts of healing, these amazing miracles, and we heard of one this morning in the children's uh, talk about the 10 lepers, about the raising of the dead that Jesus did. Peter validates and he provides the definite identification of Jesus for us. Now we're still in the courtroom. So then secondly, Peter presents the plan. Now, if you were in the courtroom, your lawyer would construct and put together a narrative, a story that fits all the facts in your case. And this is what Peter does here. He presents a case and he puts all the events surrounding Jesus in the context of God's plan. And we've just been praying about that. God has a plan for all of our lives. And he had a plan for the life of his son, Jesus. His plan was that Jesus would pay the ultimate price for us on the cross. And that he would also be raised from the dead. This was always part of the plan. 
And for many, when Jesus was crucified that day on the cross, well, many thought that was over. End of story, that's it over. But God was, and he is in control. He's in control. And he had a purpose and a plan. And that plan that he would raise God, always his plan, that God would raise Jesus from the dead. So after identifying Jesus, present his story of his mission to God, Peter then starts to bring in the testimony of the expert witnesses. Remember, we're still in the courtroom. Now, in a trial, a witness is usually called to relate what they saw. But an expert witness, this is what they do. They present forensic evidence. So say it was a, a car a accident, they would, they would present the tire marks, perhaps, or the skid marks on the road. This is the forensic evidence. And in Acts 2, how does Peter do that? Well, he brings in the prophet Joel. He brings in King David as the expert witnesses, who hundreds of years before, they prophesied that God would raise up the Christ. And the audience that Peter was speaking to would know, they would know of Joel, they would know of King David, they would know of these prophecies. He wasn't just plucking names out of the air. They would know of him. And then here's his final piece of evidence. This was powerful. Peter turns to the eyewitnesses. Now, the eyewitnesses are those who personally who personally experienced something, and so they can give the direct evidence. They were there when it happened. They saw it. And 1 Corinthians 15, and verses 5 to 8, tells us that Peter was a witness. So there's Peter. He's a witness. The 12 disciples were witnesses. It tells us there over 500 people were witnesses to seeing Jesus resurrected. Then you've got all the apostles. Then you've got Paul himself. Now, these are the ones that we read about. What a list of witnesses. If you were bringing these witnesses to this trial in this courtroom, powerful witnesses and witness statements. Now, my favorite part of the book or the film or the TV program is when all the evidence is pulled together. It's a classic with Poirot. A person in the room doesn't even know that they are going to get nabbed, so to speak. <laughs> he just brings it all together. It's, it's just clever, clever. You really got to think. And the case built by Peter here in Acts 2, and the testimony as well of the epistles that come in the New Testament, these letters that we read about, it presents an irrefutable evidence, testimony. It's conclusive. It's beyond question. And it also presents the verdict. And here's the verdict at the end of the trial, that Jesus was raised from the dead and he is alive. So we're in that courtroom. You can imagine what happened there. We'll all be jumping up and down and shaking hands, patting each other on the back. But what does that mean for you and for me? What does it mean for us? What difference does it make to your faith and to my faith that Jesus has been raised from the dead? 
And sometimes when you ask yourself a question like that, it starts to pose another question, doesn't it? It did for me in my mind. So I'm thinking, how do we know that something really works? How do we know that? Well, let's say you may have done this. You need a new uh, computer. Maybe crashed for the last time. A washing machine is washed for the last time. Maybe left half the water in it. You might need a new microwave. It's sort of blown a fuse or whatever. So you see a really good deal maybe in the sale or you see something you really like. So you go and order it. It comes. You unpack it. Quite excited. Like a new toy. You set it up. <laughs> you switch it on. And you're just expecting this. Well, it will be great. And nothing happens. Absolutely nothing happens. You go, oh, wait a minute. I've done something wrong here, putting it together. Or maybe it's the electrics. So you take it out, you put it in another socket. Perhaps something wrong with that one. Try it there. Nothing happens. And this goes on for a wee while. And then a penny drops. And you start to realize, wait a minute. I have been sold a dud here. It's not working. And it has never worked, even from inside the box. Now, I've just given that wee story there in that example, and I hope it hasn't happened to you. Something similar nearly happened to us, but uh, it's terrible when it happens. You get so frustrated. But how do we know, how do we know that Jesus' accomplishment on the cross actually worked? How do we know it was effective? Well, we heard last week from Isaiah 53 that Jesus took the penalty of sin for us on the cross so that we can be free from its power over us. We can know his forgiveness, his reconciliation, and his healing. But how do we know if he was successful? How do we know that? Well, the Apostle Paul points us in the right direction to this answer, and we can see it in 1 Corinthians 15, verses 13 to 19. And he gets us, he gets us to turn our thinking a wee bit like reverse psychology, gets us to turn our thinking with the prospect for us, if Jesus had not been raised from the dead, what would that have been like? What would that mean? And here's what he says. He says, if there's no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, our preaching is useless and so is your faith. More than that, we're then found to be false witnesses about God, for we've testified about God that he raised Christ from the dead. But he did not raise him if, in fact, the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, then Christ has not been raised either. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you're still in your sins. Then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ are lost. If only for this life we have hope in Christ, we are all people most to be pitied. Our faith is not in faith. Our faith is grounded in fact. Well, what Paul's saying here is that if Christ's resurrection is not a fact, then our faith is groundless and Jesus' work on the cross did not work at all. The gospel would therefore be without power. It would have no ability to save. We have believed a lie and we've lied to others and we're to be pitied like those who've invested in a scam. But Paul quickly, 
it quickly turns our thinking from that miserable state that we've just read about there. And this is what he says when he says in verse 20 of the same chapter, but Christ has indeed been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. And what does he do? He turns that list of horrors that we've just read on their head. Christ has risen. Therefore, there's hope of the gospel. It is real. It's not just for this world, but it's for the age to come. Death is conquered. The bondage of sin has been broken. And we who've put our trust and our hope in Christ receive every blessing in him because he lives. And because he lives, we shall live also with him forever. So what does this mean for us? What does it mean? We're asking ourselves a lot of questions this morning. So we ask ourselves that question again. How do we know Jesus' accomplishment on the cross actually worked? How do we know it was effective? Last week, we heard a powerful testimony in the Alpha video with Nicky Gumbel and that young guy whose life was turned around. What difference did Jesus make in your life? Nicky Gumbel asked him. What difference? He asked him this. And here was the answer that this man gave. He said that he gave Jesus the recognition to be in control of every part of his life or he would not have made it. He would not have made it. He would still be on the streets and be living a life trapped in addiction. He said he cried to God for help. He was open to Jesus, the living Savior, to come into his life and bring his forgiveness, bring his healing, bring his restoration, bring peace and joy. All those things we were praying just a few moments ago. This is the, the living Christ in us. He brings these things by his spirit. And I want to ask you, as you heard the testimony of this young man, what were you thinking? What were you thinking? Well, this is what I was thinking. I thought, this is my testimony. It's a testimony of God's forgiveness for me of his restoration, of his healing in my life, his joy and his peace that he brings. This is my testimony. And this is your testimony too. If you know Jesus as your savior, this is your testimony. And it's the testimony of all who find and come to know Jesus as their own savior. We are all a living testimony to the living Christ. And Ephesians 2 and 6 tells us that we are all sinners saved by grace through faith and that not of ourselves. It is the gift of God to us. It's his love running after us. He's running after us. He's longing and he's waiting for us to come to him. It was a wonderful testimony that we heard and your testimony will also be wonderful as it gives God all the glory for what he's done in your life. 
Now, as we quoted at the beginning from Tony Campolo, it's Friday, but Sunday is coming. And on that sensational Sunday, at some point in the night or the early morning, Almighty God the Father and God the Holy Spirit performed a miracle. We've talked about miracles today. Performed a miracle until the body of Jesus was ready once again. And with a breath, the soul and the spirit of Christ came again. Emmanuel again. God with us. God in the flesh, alive. Supernatural? By all means, supernatural. This is God's business. Supernatural is God's business. And he's still in the business of creating, recreating, reversing decay and destruction, giving and bringing new life, new life that is brought to each one of us. And as we heard in the video, that he offers freely to everyone who asks of him. And so as we pull this together, the Apostles' Creed, what does it do? It expresses this reality of hope by saying that Jesus rose from the dead. Jesus, as man, as our representative in humanity, was raised from the dead by God, justifying us before God. And you may have heard it said like this, justification, just as if we have never sinned. He's justified us, he's acquitted us, and he's set us free from any blame. And his resurrection secures and anticipates our resurrection. There's the great truth. What a sensational day that will be for each one of us. And I'll finish now just with a final question. Is the resurrection of the living Christ still significant today? Well, for those of us who know Jesus as our saviour, and our friend, there's no doubt in our hearts or in those whose lives have been transformed by his living presence and his living power at work in them. And may today be a new Sunday for you. May it be a sensational Sunday when you will come to know the risen Jesus for yourself if you don't know him. This can be a sensational Sunday for you. He is waiting and he's longing to open your life to him, your whole being to him, and to put your trust in him, the one who rose from the dead. Amen. Let's pray together. Living God, how we thank you more than words can ever express that you not only died for us on the cross, but that you rose again victorious from the grave so that we might know your risen power living within each one of us. Help us and give us by the truth of your word and the power of your Holy Spirit a deeper and a genuine faith into the mystery of the resurrection and all it means for us as we follow you and we live for you. And may today be a sensational Sunday for those 
who do not know you, that they might ask you to come now into their lives, into their hearts. Thank you, Lord. And we ask it all in your name. Amen. Thank you.